You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Good afternoon and welcome. My name is Lise Grande. I'm the head of the United States Institute of Peace. It was established by the U.S. Congress in 1984 as an independent public institution dedicated to helping prevent, mitigate, and resolve violent conflict abroad. We're very honored at USIP to host the second annual dialogue on war legacies and peace in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. This dialogue is the largest gathering in Washington of governmental and non-governmental leaders that are concerned with US policy towards what President Biden has described on his recent visit to Hanoi as one of the most consequential regions in the world today. This event began as a flagship activity of the Institute's War Legacies and Reconciliation Initiative. It was launched in 2021. Current events have made this gathering particularly significant. Our event is one of the first public events between our countries following the announcement of the U.S.-Vietnam Comprehensive Strategic Partnership on Sunday. We congratulate President Biden and General Secretary Nguyen Phu Trung on this historic agreement which can be seen as a culmination of one of the longest reconciliation processes between states in the entire modern period. We also recognize that this achievement would not have been possible without the efforts of many individual Americans and Vietnamese who have made post-war reconciliation their life's work. We welcome our colleagues from the embassies of Laos Vietnam, Cambodia, as well as the visitors who are joining us today who have been sponsored by the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency, which is actually holding its own annual technical talks later today. I'm delighted to have the honor of introducing our two distinguished speakers who will be here for the first part of today's plenary. Dr. Mira Rapp-Hooper, is the Special Assistant to the President of the United States and Senior Director for East Asia and Oceania Affairs at the National Security Council. Madam Huang T. Tengya is the Minister and Deputy Chief of Mission of the Embassy of the Socialist Republic of Vietnam. Please join us on the stage. Thank you so much, Lisa, and thank you to colleagues at USIP for having us today for this incredibly important conversation. As Lisa has just indicated, it could not be more timely. Before I delve into my opening remarks, in which I hope to just share a little bit with you about the historic trip that President Biden just took to Vietnam uh, to unveil our 
path-breaking comprehensive strategic partnership with Vietnamese friends, um, I want to start by thanking Vietnamese friends, and in particular our ambassador here in Washington and DCM Na herself. Um, presidential trips always take a village to pull off, um, but as we'll speak about today, we had an extraordinary diplomatic opening with Vietnam that required a true all-hands-on-deck approach to make sure that we were able to achieve uh, a visit befitting the aspirations that we had for it. Uh, and we worked so closely together um, to make sure that that was possible in recent weeks. So it's wonderful to be on the other side of it, get to share a little bit about it with you all today, uh, but to be sitting next to a great friend and colleague to do it. So uh, our comprehensive strategic partnership with Vietnam uh, that President Biden and General Secretary Nguyen uh, Phu Trong announced on Sunday was the product in many ways of decades, years of reconciliation, exactly as Lisa indicated, but also the product of a particular moment um, that all of a sudden uh, seemed like it was upon us uh, before we could even sort of grasp the enormity of the situation. Uh, as Lisa indicated, and you all know so well, uh, the US-Vietnam relationship has taken many twists and turns in the 50 years uh, of the post-war period. As we discussed with Vietnamese counterparts many times during the president's trip to Vietnam a few days ago, uh, in many ways there was an incredible potential for partnership between the US and Vietnam in the immediate post-war period uh, when Ho Chi Minh reached out many times uh, to US presidents um, to write and to share his aspirations for full cooperation with the United States and a desire to draw closer as partners. Uh, but of course, it's lost on no one in this audience um, that a couple of decades later, uh, our, our relationship was in an incredibly painful place as we were riven by conflict. And in many ways, uh, the decades subsequent to that were all defined by our reconciliation process, uh, which of course culminated with diplomatic normalization in 1995. Following normalization, um, there were a number of key milestones to include our launch of a comprehensive partnership in 2013, uh, President Obama's incredibly important trip uh, at the end of his administration, and when President Biden took office in 2021, uh, I can say, as someone who has been privileged to be at the National Security Council since the early days of this administration, that it has always been uh, an aspiration of ours to upgrade our relationship with Vietnam, uh, befitting of the moment that we are in. Uh, of course, uh, that upgrade uh, is very much about the way that we see U.S.-Vietnam relations, but it's also about the fact that this administration uh, is incredibly focused on the Indo-Pacific as a region, um, has put out an Indo-Pacific strategy that aspires for a free, open, connected, resilient, and secure region, and has invested a great deal of time, effort, and energy uh, into modernizing and investing in a wide variety of alliances and partnerships around the region. Um, so whether you're talking about the modernization of the US-Japan alliance, US-ROK alliance, US-Australia alliance, US-Philippines alliance, or newer multilateral arrangements like the Quad and AUKUS, and of course our enduring um, and profound commitment to and respect for ASEAN centrality, uh, this administration uh, has made it its business to be laser focused on allies and partners as the bedrock of uh, its efforts to bring about uh, that vision for, for the Indo-Pacific that we seek to achieve. Uh, and we have always hoped throughout this process uh, that an upgraded partnership with Vietnam would be a part of that. 
uh, we recognized just a few months ago uh, that we might have an opportunity to go even farther and even faster um, than we would have previously expected. I can say personally that when we thought about upgrading our relationship to Vietnam, with Vietnam until very recently, uh, we all uh, on both sides of the Pacific expected that we were looking at an upgrade to a strategic partnership, which um, would have been the natural progression um, and certainly the way that partnership succession has, has typically worked in the Vietnamese system. Um, but we recognized, uh, due to a couple of really important exchanges amongst our top diplomats and leaders, that we had an opportunity to do even more than that. Um, and a couple of particularly important meetings um, led us to recognize that the strong desire of uh, President Biden and General Secretary Chung to meet um, meant that we might also be able to do more than we thought was possible. Um, and with a little bit of exploration, both sides did land on um, the idea that we should seek a comprehensive strategic partnership in an unprecedented double upgrade by Vietnam uh, of the United States as partner. As we prepared to pursue chuẩn bị cho chuyến thi lần này và một cái bước ngoặt mới này thì uh, chúng tôi nghĩ rằng là cái khoảnh khắc này là không là một khoảnh khắc chúng tôi uh, rất là hoan nghênh và đánh giá cao cái nỗ lực của các đối tác các đồng nghiệp của chúng tôi ở Việt Nam và để nhìn thấy được đạt được những cái uh, những cái tiềm năng của cái trong cái quan hệ của chúng tôi tôi nghĩ đến một trong những lý do đó là chúng tôi đã đã đạt được đến cái bước nâng tầm cao của mối quan hệ chưa từng có này thì tôi nghĩ đây cũng là những cái mục mục tiêu mục tiêu chính cũng vẫn là sự liên minh sự hợp tác uh, các bạn cũng đã thấy là tất cả những cái văn kiện từ trong chuyến đi những cái lời công bố chung cũng đã được đưa ra vì điều này phản ảnh là Hoa Kỳ và Việt Nam cùng song hành với nhau uh, trong cái quan hệ uh, giữa Hoa Kỳ và Việt Nam trong cái giai đoạn tới này trong tầm cao mới này hoàn toàn uh, ho hoàn toàn là hợp nhất cùng với những mục tiêu mà phía bên Việt Nam đưa ra headlines uh, of our fact sheet of course uh, include a unprecedented uh, decision to form a partnership with Vietnam in the technology space and in particular to invest uh, in Vietnam's semiconductor ecosystem with a strong desire by the United States to see Vietnam be a leading regional technology player um, in the years to come and increasingly a leading global player. Uh, other deliverables include um, initiatives to help Vietnam build its workforce um, to harness the incredible potential of its educated, young, and dynamic population um, and its growing economy. Um, and of course, there are a number of other features um, that you would expect to see, whether that's our clo close partnership on climate change, on health security, um, our longstanding and very important security ties, um, and our people-to-people -people connections, uh, which in many ways uh, remain the lifeblood of our partnership. But even as we designed a partnership, a sort of plan for a CSP that would be fully fitting of a modern dynamic Vietnam um, and all that we believe Vietnam can achieve in the region, uh, and fitting of the US's aspirations in the Indo-Pacific in the 21st century, I do want to emphasize the importance and continuing role that war legacy and war remembrance played um, in this very important trip. Throughout our planning, um, we talked about the fact that it would be incredibly important to memorialize the work 
that our teams uh, in the United States and Vietnam have done tirelessly for decades, even preceding diplomatic recognition, to get us to the place where we are able to announce this highest tier of partnership in 2021. Of course, that includes continued tireless work to address uh, unexploded ordinance, to address dioxin remediation, to provide support for people with disabilities, um, and to do the day-to-day -day work of remembrance and reconciliation that has allowed us to build trust and mutual understanding that now doesn't just extend to the war legacy part of our relationship, but really permeates all aspects of the partnership. On uh, the president's trip to Vietnam, one of the most moving moments that I had the privilege of experiencing was the president's visit to the National Assembly, where he met with the Speaker of the National Assembly and also had the privilege of meeting a number of veterans of the Vietnam War, uh, both US and Vietnamese veterans. Uh, and one of the most poignant moments of the entire visit was when two US veterans of the war returned to the Vietnamese veteran present his own diary that he had kept during the war, um, rebound and refinished so that he could have memories of his own experience and his family could have memories of his own experience uh, for decades to come. And I think we saw both of our leaders uh, sort of catch their breath a little bit um, in the poignance of that moment. Um, and that was such an important reminder of the fact that even as we continue to modernize our partnership and, and extend it into all of these incredible new areas, uh, that work remains in many ways the beating heart of what got us to where we are. I will um, note uh, in closing my opening remarks that I think uh, war legacy remembrance was a hugely important aspect of why President Biden personally uh, wanted to pursue the CSP with Vietnam. As he said many times over the course of his meetings with all of Vietnam's top four leaders, uh, he has some close personal friendships um, that had led to his understanding of Vietnam and the incredibly important role that US-Vietnam relations could play uh, in helping to make for a more peaceful and stable Indo-Pacific. And for him, those are encapsulated by his friendships uh, with Special Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, of course, former Senator and Secretary of State, who accompanied on him on the trip and was there for every moment of his very important program. Uh, and they also, of course, include uh, his longstanding and deeply valued friendship with John McCain, who he honored uh, by placing a wreath um, at the marker in Hanoi, uh, where Senator McCain's aircraft was shot down during uh, the Vietnam War. Um, so I think, as a staffer, it was very moving to see uh, the significance that that war remembrance uh, played in bringing this particular president to this particular moment, where he had the privilege of uh, sitting side by side with the general secretary and each of Vietnam's top leaders um, to survey how far we've come and how much potential we have in the years and decades ahead. I'll stop there. Mira, thank you. Madam Minister. Um, well, um, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, the USIP for inviting me to this important dialogue, uh, which, is, uh, which has become a very remarkable uh, initiative to promote reconciliation uh, peace and, um, and, and, and mutual understanding. Um, and thank you very much, Mira, for, uh, for, for, for telling us about what happened in Hanoi a few days ago. Uh, well, uh, my, my remarks will focus more on addressing war legacy issue. Uh, we believe that addressing war legacy issue has been one of the keys 
uh, to normalization process uh, between Vietnam and the United States, and also to the development of our bilateral relationship. Um, uh, enormous efforts have been made from both uh, the United States and Vietnam um, to, um, to overcome the consequences of the war of the last over three uh, decades. And, um, uh, the close uh, cooperation between Vietnam and the United States governments and people um, in this area has contributed significantly to um, building trust and understanding, uh, making two uh, former enemies uh, friends and partners today. Uh, Mira has mentioned um, earlier uh, about the big event in Hanoi a few days ago, three days ago. When our two leaders uh, announced the establishment of the uh, comprehensive strategic partnership, strategic comprehensive, uh, uh, yeah, comprehensive strategic partnership uh, for peace, um, for peace cooperation and sustainable development during President Biden's visit. Um, addressing war legacy is one of the key pillars of uh, the newly established uh, partnership, as it has always been. Uh, in Vietnam-U.S. relations over the last three decades. Um, the leaders of Vietnam and the United States reaffirmed a very strong commitment uh, to solve the consequences of war, uh, including remediating um, uh, dioxin, cleaning up unexploded ordnance, supporting persons with disabilities, uh, and accounting for missing and fallen soldiers from the war. Uh, also during the visit, Mira uh, also mentioned about the event at the National Assembly where uh, veteran American and Vietnamese veteran exchanged their wartime diaries. And we, we have just learned that um, Vietnamese side also received a very important information from the US side about 500 soldiers, um, which would be very helpful for us to identify our fallen soldiers. Um, and, um, the cooperation on world legacy are meaningful to Vietnam-US uh, partnership and also for many of our, family, our families that enter, enters uh, the pain of war. Uh, let me share with you a story uh, of a lady who wrote uh, a letter to my ambassador a few months ago. Uh, her father was an Air, Force, uh, an Air Force major and in 2015, um, with a lot of efforts, from, um, efforts and assistance from the local government and people of Tanghua province, uh, the joint excavation team found her father's remains and, um, and repatriated him in 2017. Um, this June, she came back to Vietnam uh, to celebrate her father's birthday, and she planted a peace tree in the, the formal excavation site. She also gave 50 rice back to, um, to the local Buddhist temple uh, to commemorate the 15 years of the Paris Accord. And, um, and she told us that uh, she, she saw her father in, 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 in her dream the first night when she returned to Hanoi. She returned to, the, to Vietnam. And um, uh, the story, this story, and many other stories my uh, colleagues in embassy had chance to hear uh, remind us that um, much needed to be done to heal uh, the wound of war uh, in Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, and also in the United States. Um, we appreciate all cooperation efforts to uh, address um, this issue, 
whether it's from government or organizations or individuals. Um, and on this occasion, we would like to uh, suggest uh, following points. Uh, first, we, we would like to call for the US Congress and administration uh, to allocate more resources for addressing world legacy issues in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, uh, particularly on unexploded ordinance, cleans up, um, and risk awareness education as well. Uh, Diocene remediation, uh, support for persons affected by Agent uh, Orange, and accounting for fallen soldiers and bringing, uh, bringing them home. Uh, we look forward to further support for building a data center uh, to identify Vietnamese MIAs uh, and improve our DNA analysis uh, capabilities. And uh, second, in addition to addressing war legacies, uh, we hope that there would be more cooperation between uh, the United States um, and Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia in uh, economic trade investment, um, infrastructure development, and connectivity, and respond to climate change uh, through the Mekong-US partnership or many other bilateral and regional initiatives. Uh, we believe that as a Pacific power, the United States and other partners uh, can contribute to turning Indochina from a formal battlefield into a place of opportunities, a hub for development and cooperation. Um, so once again, I would like to thank USIP for this uh, very important dialogue. Thank you for your attention. Madam Minister, thank you. Dr. Rep Hooper, thank you. With your permission, we'd like to ask you just a few questions. Fifty years ago, yeah. our two countries were at war. We were enemies. And two days ago, we became the highest form of friends you can be between states. Why did it happen this year? Why weren't we able to do this five years ago, ten years ago? Why couldn't we do it right after the war? What is so special about 2023 that we have achieved this? Yes. Um, well, uh, let me share my, uh, what I think. Um, I think um, what Vietnam and the United States have just achieved is remarkable. Uh, re the reconciliation process is not easy at all. It takes many years. Uh, for, many, for many other examples, it may take many decades to heal the wound of war, uh, to overcome the consequences of war. Um, and in order to have what we have a few days ago, that a lot of efforts have been made from both sides, from the United States and Vietnam, um, so I think um, that's already remarkable. It's, you can say it's long, but it might not be too long compared to what we have achieved. It's already very remarkable. Um, I'll simply embroider on TCM Na's uh, remarks with which I absolutely agree to say that I think there are a few different layers of factor. Um, and you'll excuse me for bucketing them. I'm a recovered political scientist, so this is um, this is the way my brain operates. But on on one level, right, um, you have sort of the structural circumstances of international politics, right? The Vietnam War occurred during a very particular time, at the height of the Cold War. The Cold War 
ended, which um, provided ample opportunity for us to look towards a new future, including through diplomatic normalization. But even before the end of the Cold War, we had started um, at the subnational level a lot of this really important reconciliation and healing work uh, between our countries. And now, of course, structurally in the 21st century, we live in a world that looks nothing like the Cold War. Um, it has many challenges of its own, um, but the sort of structural factors um, in international relations are completely different. Um, second, as my um, friend and colleague just indicated, over the course of those five decades, you have had tireless work um, in both of our countries, both on the government-to-government -government level, the NGO level, uh, the individual level, uh, and, and, and many more um, to put us in a place where we could arrive at a partnership breakthrough uh, like the one that we did just a few days ago through this tireless work that not only addresses um, the specific legacies of war in all of these painful areas like dioxin remediation, unexploded ordnance, uh, people with disabilities, falling and missing shoulders, each of which is crucial, but through those activities um, genuinely builds a stronger foundation for a future relationship because our countries understand each other better and build habits of cooperation that can extend to other areas. Um, but the third factor I would point to is individual leadership. Uh, I don't think we would have arrived at the particular moment that we saw on Sunday without the leadership of this general secretary in Vietnam and this president here in the United States, both of whom were committed to meeting and committed to taking their partnership to a historic place. Um, even as we worked in recent months to figure out how exactly we would get them together and what exactly it would look like, that determination was clear and was fierce. Uh, so in many ways, all of this work that has gone on tire tirelessly between our countries uh, for years was helping to lay the foundation now in the 21st century in which these two particular leaders could take this historic step. What do you think the contribution of the new friendship, the new comprehensive strategic friendship between our countries is going to mean for stability and for peace and for prosperity in the region? I'm happy to take this one first. Um, you know, we see the U.S.-Vietnam comprehensive strategic partnership as an absolute force for peace, stability, and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific. Full stop. Um, we think this partnership is going to be incredibly important in the service of those goals um, and believe that's true across a number of different dimensions. Um, and I think the different ways in which we see that being true are evident in our joint statement, in our fact sheet, um, and in the ways that our leaders interacted um, in Hanoi just a couple of days ago. Um, you know, on the one hand and at the most basic level, um, the president reiterated a number of times, um, and we believe fervently that a strong, unified, prosperous, and resilient Vietnam is fundamentally in the interest of the Indo-Pacific and in the interest of the United States. Um, and that is part of the reason we are so uh, committed to Vietnam and Vietnam's success. You can see that in our enthusiasm for partnering with Vietnam in the technology space, where we think Vietnam has a huge role to play um, in resilient supply chains and in the technologies of the future. Um, and we believe that the partnership that we announced uh, this past weekend is just the beginning um, of, of much stronger cooperation in this space. 
Um, we believe that Vietnam has incredible, both realized um, and future potential as a climate leader in the region, taking some really bold and important steps um, that can inspire um, and, and rally cooperation from others in the Indo-Pacific as well. Um, we obviously uh, believe that we see eye to eye in a number of important strategic areas. Uh, one that was on full display and discussed many times uh, was, of course, the importance of rule of law, freedom of navigation, um, and peace and stability in the South China Sea, um, where our leaders are, are deeply aligned in their views and in their perspectives. Um, and all in all, we believe um, that the United States and Vietnam have similar approaches to the way that we engage with the region and the way that we approach our partnerships. Um, as already mentioned, um, you know, the president, the vice president, um, and, and all of our top leadership are deeply committed to ASEAN's strength and ASEAN centrality. Um, and of course, um, it goes without saying that, that Vietnam is, is incredibly so. Uh, but we also see our partnership with Vietnam as part of a broader, overlapping set of interlinking partnerships that are emerging throughout the region, all of which we think provide stabilizing forces. Um, so while I've already rattled off a number of the important alliances and partnerships um, that the United States has pursued under the Biden administration in recent years, it's also worth noting that Vietnam is pursuing some really historic partnerships of its own, whether that's with the Republic of Korea, with India, with Japan. Um, and we see a lot of that work as overlapping and aiming towards similar sets of goals, um, you know, many of which for us are reflected in our Indo-Pacific strategy. Um, so it goes without saying, I think, from where we sit, uh, that this is a partnership for uh, good, for prosperity, for peace. Um, and the fact of vaulting it to the level of comprehensive strategic partnership means, from where we sit, um, that more and more possibility will open for what we can do together. Just uh, let me add some few things. Uh, to us, um, the, we, when we upgrade the partnership to uh, CSP level, comprehensive partner, uh, strategic uh, partnership level, uh, we believe that the purpose of the partnership is for peace, cooperation, and sustainable development, nothing else. Uh, that's, that's very clear. And um, this is the, the purpose of, of our partnership. And um, uh, if you read the choice statement of, um, of our, between our two leaders, you can see that the very big component of the, of, um, of the choice statement is about development, about economic cooperation. Uh, we, many, at Vietnam, as many other countries in the region, we uh, very much uh, look forward to further engagement of the United States in, in the region in terms of economic and development. And um, that's why we support many uh, initiatives by the U.S. administration to further engage economically with, with the region and with ASEAN. Um, another point I would like to add here is uh, between ASEAN and the United States relationship. Um, ASEAN and the United States have also upgraded the partnership to a comprehensive strategic partnership. And, um, uh, our bilateral relationship would like to contribute to further develop uh, the relationship between ASEAN and the United States. Um, that's, that's what we think that how our bilater uh, bilateral relationship can benefit to the region and, um, and to the one at large. You know, historically, if you look at post-war period between countries that have fought, and if we 
State modernity from the French Revolution. One of the astonishing features of the relationship between Vietnam and the United States is that it represents the longest sustained reconciliation process in 250 years. An astonishing journey for our country, an astonishing journey for your country. Now that we have an elevated partnership and friendship between us, what are gonna be the obstacles to implementing this fully? And a related and final question. If you were asked to advise two countries that are fighting right now, how they should reconcile when that fighting is over, what would you say to them? Madam Minister, we'll start with you. <laughs> Why don't you come with the tough question? <laughs> well, um, I think there would be no single model to every uh, situation. Um, I mean, the situation varies from one place to another. Uh, but I just think that um, the lesson from from, I mean, the lesson from building the trust between Vietnam and the United States might be an example for other, for other countries as well. Um, and this is, not, this is not about only the cooperation between the two governments, but more important is between two people, people of Vietnam and the people of the United States. Uh, I believe that if we can help to prom help promote the people-to-people -people ties, uh, day by day, um, we can enhance the trust building uh, and we can enhance um, the mutual understanding between two peoples. Um, it might be, it might be, I mean, it might be a solution to, to any uh, conflict. Um, though I, I, I would not say that it, um, I would not say that it's, um, it may, we can have those, the, the, the solution in, in a couple of days. No, the reconciliation uh, may take many years or many decades. Uh, but I hope that what Vietnam and the United States have achieved today uh, can be something that um, other countries uh, think of. Um, so when it comes to uh, obstacles for implementation, um, you know, I think it goes without saying that what we have announced on Sunday, what our leaders announced, is incredibly ambitious. And anytime uh, you set, set your sights to historic levels, which we have um, necessarily done, you're always going to have to um, kind of scurry to, to catch up with that level of leader ambition. Um, and every government faces constraint as they implement the vision of, in particular, two visionary leaders. Um, we're very uh, enthusiastic about uh, kind of matching that level of ambition. But of course, there will always be obstacles to doing so. Um, simply where I sit against, again, as a White House staffer, um, you know, I wish it was possible for the US government to uh, devote unlimited resources to all of these initiatives in our fact sheet uh, with Vietnam. Uh, but of course, um, we do have limits. I wish, uh, you know, we had unlimited caps on our staffing of our embassy in Hanoi so that we could implement um, our plans together as quickly as possible. Um, but of course, there are 
our limits on that as well. Um, but I think that uh, one of the very important lessons that we learned from Vietnamese friends and the Vietnamese system of partnership is that what we announced on Sunday is not um, just a burst of energy that is intended to be realized immediately or even in this administration for us, um, but it's a partnership whose vision is going to need to be implemented and fulfilled for years and years to come. Um, and that's one of the remarkable things about the work that our teams have done together in recent weeks is that it was not just about preparing for a historic leader level visit, but it was um, putting down on paper the contours of a partnership that our teams uh, will be implementing together long after we have left these positions. Um, and that is a, a very special thing to be a part of. Uh, when it comes to the question of how we might um, you know, make recommendations humbly to any countries who are experiencing the scourge of conflict right now, I think um, you know, the, the best lessons we can draw from our own experience, um, number one, to be patient. Um, this is a 50-year narrative arc um, that we are talking about, an extraordinary one. Um, but a very, a very long one indeed. But number two, um, to let your people guide you. I think one of the things um, that is most striking from the US side is how much of our initial war legacy um, and reconciliation work was led by American veterans and service members um, who wanted to uh, see a different future for the Vietnam-US relationship despite and because of having served during such a painful period. Um, and their entrepreneurship in making possible uh, so much of the work that unfolded uh, over uh, the course of the subsequent decades is something to which we owe a great debt of gratitude. And of course, so many individuals, individual groups in Vietnam um, had the same important leading role. Um, so in many ways, our war legacy work uh, built the foundation for our government to establish much stronger relationships, but it was key groups of service members, of NGOs, of activists, of individuals um, who lit the way for that work to become possible. I'd like to thank you both for being with us and allow us a personal comment from USIP. When this institution was created, the leading forces were combat veterans from our own Congress. Of course, we were established in the aftermath of the Vietnam War. So built into the very heart and the soul of this institution were people who had fought and who never wanted us ever again as a country to be in that same situation. I hope everyone joins me in thanking the minister and thanking Dr. Rap Hooper for their introductory comments. Thank you both.
expert for Southeast Asia here at the U.S. Institute of Peace. I work very closely with Andrew Wells Dong, who I know is much more famous uh, for, for this audience. Uh, we work very closely in, uh, to establish the, this program in the last couple of years, and you'll be seeing Andrew Wells Dong up here on stage uh, soon enough. We have a little over 30 minutes to continue our conversation with three speakers, so I know I, I ought to be brief. Nobody here on stage was traveling with President Biden to Hanoi last week, but I can assure you they're all very, very interesting people and come with a diverse set of background, and I think we'll address three important pillars of the war legacy and reconciliation story. So first, immediately to my left is um, Mr. Bunchanangsat Chantalat, who's the Deputy Chief of Mission at the Embassy of Lao PDR here in Washington, D.C. Previously, he uh, served in very senior roles at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs um, in Vientiane. Uh, he also happens to hold PhD, a PhD and master's from universities in Australia, so he's our Australia expert here on the stage also. Um, next to him is Anne-Marie Yastishak who is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service with the rank of Minister Counselor. She's currently a senior advisor in USAID's Bureau of Human Capital and Talent Management. She was previously the Senior Deputy Assistant Administrator for Asia, and I think most germane to our conversation today, formerly the Mission Director for USAID in Hanoi. And finally, we have Tony Sage, uh, who comes down from Harvard uh, to be with us today. He's the director of the Rajawali Foundation Institute for Asia and the Daewoo Professor of International Affairs at the Harvard Kennedy School. He's also a noted specialist on China. He was the Ford Foundation's representative there for several years in the 1990s. Uh, for today, he's gonna be focused on a few initiatives that he runs related to, to Vietnam at the Harvard Kennedy School. So without any further ado, um, uh, Mr. Chantalat, I think uh, you know, it goes without saying to people in this room, but what Americans call the Vietnam War was actually a war in all across Indochina, including Laos. Uh, it's very important that you're here with us. Thank you, and would like to give you the floor for a few initial remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. <coughs> so today I'm very um, honored and happy to uh, get invited and share my uh, opinion about the war legacy. Uh, as the theme, uh, the, plan the title of the plenary session uh, today, it's about cooperation on war legacy. So uh, this afternoon, I would like to talk about the UXO clearance in Laos. Um, you may be very aware that uh, the Vietnam War or the Sikhid War in Laos <coughs> We Lao people are affected by the U.S. bombing. Uh, for nine consecutive years, from uh, 1964 to 1973, over two million tons of bombs had been dropped to, uh, on Laos, spreading into more than uh, 270 million cluster submunitions scattered across the country from north to south, and uh, even. Over half century later, 30% of bombs, or around uh, 80 million bombs, still remain unexploded and still active in the forest, in the rice field, and with no exception, uh, in school, in uh, playgrounds, uh, where children play and go to school every day. <coughs> UXO uh, have already uh, claim the lives of more than 50,000 people 
both adults and children after the war ended. <clears throat> and uh, they are injuring and killing our people every day. And uh, sadly, uh, this past June this year, there was an accident in Sanyaboli province where two children were killed and three others were injured. This is a really sad story that I hear. Uh, they are playing together and they saw the bomb and they play with an explosive bomb and they were uh, heavily uh, affected. So with the strong determination to um, eliminate the impact of the XO, the, the Lao government has prioritized the UXO clearance as the one of the important and crucial works <coughs> that we cooperate with the foreign countries, donor countries, including with the US. So for almost uh, 70 years of our diplomatic relations with the US, uh, U, uh, UXO clearance remains a crucial area of our cooperation. Um, you know, uh, to remove or clear UXO uh, completely from the country is not an easy task. It requires time and a uh, huge budget. But uh, with the capacity we have now, we, uh, we have uh, many difficulties to remove all of them as quickly as we want. So, but uh, we would like to thank the U.S. government and donor country for providing us the support over the past year. Uh, we, we note that the House of Appropriation Committee committed 80 million U.S. dollars to address the issue of conventional weapons of uh, destruction in Laos and Vietnam and Cambodia. So we hope that the committee uh, to see this committee, <coughs> to see this commitment being realized to contribute to the ongoing UXO clearance effort in our countries. So with the U.S. Uh, assistance, uh, we are uh, almost uh, 72,000 hectares of the total contaminated area of 847,000 hectares in Laos have been cleared from 1996 to 2020. But uh, even after the three decade long efforts, we could only uh, remove only 10% of the total contaminated land. So based on our current resource that we have and the budget, we are able to clear approximately 5,000 hectares per year, uh, which will take uh, quite long time, and it already consumed the budget of 30 to 40 million uh, per year. Uh, so um, with the, um, the impact of UXO, uh, we would like once again to express our thanks to the U.S. government, donor, country, uh, donor countries, international organization for, for helping us and looking forward to uh, continued assistance. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, and I think we, we heard, um, you know, this is a, 
this is an issue that, that our friends in Vietnam and Cambodia are also following and you know, aware. It was interesting, Ms. Nas' remarks earlier, maybe we'll circle back to this about the importance of us all working collectively. That's not just a US-Vietnam proposition. So thank you for those initial comments. Um, Anne-Marie, we'll go to you next. Thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me to speak today. Um, it's really an honor, honor to be here and to share the stage with others who have been working to promote peace throughout Southeast Asia. I do want to just take a minute to acknowledge um, the incredible place we are today with the President's visit to Vietnam and the elevation of our partnership to a comprehensive strategic partnership. It's really a remarkable achievement that would not have been possible without all the work that we've all done together to address war legacy issues. Um, I arrived in Vietnam in the fall of uh, 2020 and it was very meaningful for me because my family, like many American families, shares an intimate connection with Vietnam. One of my older sisters served during the war in Vietnam as a naval nurse on a hospital ship, the USS Sanctuary, caring for American soldiers, but also primarily taking care of Vietnamese women and children. Um, and she shared in that pain at the time and the place in the decades afterwards, suffered from dioxin exposure and disability stemming from her service. Her dedication and selflessness um, really has impacted me and it was a huge honor for me to go to Vietnam and serve as the mission director and to follow in her first footsteps, but also to address the Vietnam War legacies. Um, and we've made, I think, enormous progress over the last few decades um, and it, to address war legacies, but also to look at other programs that we've been working on in Vietnam, which we can get to later. And there is a fact sheet that came out uh, with the president announcing another $100 million in development assistance. Um, but today, USAID's current war legacy focuses in three areas. One is disabilities assistance, the second is the dioxin remediation, and then the identification of the deceased. Um, so first with the disabilities assistance, thanks to really the historic legislation sponsor, uh, sponsored by Senator Leahy in 1991, we began a program designed to address the expressed priority of the Vietnamese government um, to meet the needs of those wounded by the war. Um, and specifically, it was w working with about 250,000 amputees who had minimal, if any, access to appropriate, pro appropriate prosthetic and rehabilitation services. Since then, our disabilities programming in Vietnam has grown significantly. Um, we've contributed more than $155 million in assistance to persons with disabilities over the past 30 years and recently expanded our disability program to two new provinces, bringing the total number of supported provinces in Vietnam to 10. Um, across the country, we've worked with partners to support children with disabilities and help parents improve their ability to care for them, um, and also worked with clinics and hospitals to screen for disabilities as part of routine health checks, train rehabilitation professionals to get people the help that they need and assist in instituting Vietnam's first ever occupational speech and language therapy courses. Over the last five years, we've contributed to a significant expansion of the Vietnam's, uh, Vietnam's workforce of skilled rehabilitation practitioners, 
physical, occupational, and speech and language therapists, which really was, again, a tremendous step forward in, in training the workforce for people to, for the government and um, the institutions within Vietnam to be able to provide those services themselves. Um, and now, for the first time, these services are really available through a number of communities. The second area was the dioxin remediation. And uh, again, in close partnership with the government of Vietnam, we continue to work on remediating di uh, dioxin contamination with one project complete and the other in process. So we successfully completed the cleanup of the Da Nang airport. Um, and now it's a cleaner and safer city with the airport expanding to utilize 75 acres of cleaned land. We're working closely currently with Vietnam to replicate the success in Bien Hoa, the airbase, and the largest remaining hotspot of dioxin contamination and an enormous challenge, really the largest Superfund site in the world. That will involve four times the volume of soil that was handled in Da Nang. Um, we are committed to working with Vietnam to complete the dioxin remediation efforts at Bien Hoa which is really an estimated over $400 million to, $450 million to complete. And we recently expanded our bilateral agreement to ensure implementation until 2028. The last area I really wanted to focus on as far as the war legacies is, is really our newest area, and that's the identification of those uh, that were killed or missing during the Vietnam War. With the Department of Defense, we're moving forward with new technology to work with the government of Vietnam to improve its means of identifying missing Vietnamese from the war. We have been honored to really to contribute to this absolute crucial effort. The families need and deserve closure and seeing their loved ones laid to rest. We can't forget, ignore, or deny the legacies of the past. We'll continue to do our part and address and resolve them, and in doing so, open up the possibilities to the future. In addition to our War Legacies Program, we do have a comprehensive uh, development program in Vietnam currently, where we are working with the government on improving governance and transparency to really strengthen inclusive economic growth. Um, we have been addressing other environmental challenges such as oceans plastics and now for the first time really focusing on the Mekong Delta again um, and really uh, another area that's really crucial not only for Vietnam but for the world is really on the transition of energy um, and meeting those uh, climate change goals and particularly the implementation of the power development plan number eight. Um, I'll stop there, um, but again, I just want to say thank you very much for inviting me and, um, and really uh, look forward to a discussion about what else we can be doing together. Thank you so much. Tony? Yes, again, thank you very much for this invitation, and I also want to extend my thanks to all the staff here at USIP for putting this important event together, and of course your immaculate timing for when it's now taking place. I wanted to touch on uh, two initiatives uh, at the Harvard Kennedy School that relate to these questions around uh, war legacies and reconciliation. The first I'll only touch on briefly, and the second actually follows um, from what my colleague was just talking about in terms of identification of those fallen uh, in the conflict. And I'll spend a little bit more time 
on that one. Uh, the first is the evolution of the Fulbright University of Vietnam. And that has enabled, I think, many other activities to take place within Vietnam in the realms of sort of culture and education. And it began way back in 1994, actually, as a partnership between our Vietnam program and the University of Economics in Ho Chi Minh City and developed the Fulbright's economic uh, teaching program. That led to offering in Vietnam the first Masters of Public Policy degree and eventually uh, into the school, which is now the graduate school, uh, as a part of the Fulbright University uh, of uh, Vietnam, which received its uh, operating license in 2017 as the first independent non-profit liberal arts university. So I think it has been a pioneer in the realms of education and has played an important role in helping uh, understanding between the two countries. But let me turn to um, the project that's uh, funded uh, in terms of what we refer to as the unseen legacies of the Vietnam War. And that's funded by the US uh, Defense Department and it's based uh, at the Roger Wiley Foundation Institute for Asia at the Harvard Kennedy School. From what we've been hearing, it really shows a tremendous value uh, of the work that is being conducted in this pro project. Um, many of those in Vietnam have been searching for decades for what has happened to their loved ones, trying to bring some closure uh, to uh, what happened during the war. So it's a very valuable, but it's also a very emotional uh, project in many ways, which I mentioned subsequently. Uh, as has been mentioned by the two first two speakers um, during President Biden's visit to Vietnam on September 11 when President Biden met with the chair of Vietnam's National Assembly, that witnessed the handing over of one of our latest deliverables from the project, which was information on 563 uh, fallen Vietnamese soldiers of the 273rd Regiment um, and was delivered uh, to the Ministry of National Defense. And as was mentioned, which was very moving, with an actual diary uh, from a soldier, a battlefield diary, which we recovered from the CDAC collections and was able to verify it and then be able to give it to the living author in uh, Hanoi. Previously, I experienced uh, something similar uh, when we met with the gentleman who'd been searching for decades of information of what had happened to his father. And he'd been tricked by charlatans, geomancers, soothsayers about where perhaps the remains lay. But we were actually able to discover uh, the death notification for his father, which of course in itself was sad. But he was so relieved in many ways that actually could now bring closure to what had happened uh, to his father all those years ago. So I just want to finish off with two sets uh, of comments. Um, first, uh, we've received tremendous support uh, from the DOD and the DAO office uh, in Hanoi, especially uh, Colonel Thomas J. Bouchelon and Lieutenant Colonel Chad Somerville. And that's helped us provide a range of deliverables. Uh, we've produced so far, in addition to President Biden's visit, seven sets of deliverables, 58 research reports, which encompasses over 600 individual uh, war dead cases and burial sites for almost 2,000 uh, other soldiers. 
So we've been able to verify those information and they provide previously unseen burial site maps, uh, written descriptions of burial sites, personal backgrounds, accounts of soldiers' deaths and circumstances, as I said in the case of the individual earlier, the manner of the soldier's death and the date of their demise in rough coordinates. So I said in many ways it's an emotional and often a very sad project that one is engaged with, but is extremely uh, valuable. We were also on a prior visit able to deliver four cases of personal ephemera. Uh, when we visited uh, Ho Chi Minh's home village, we were able to deliver there uh, a notebook of soldiers uh, from the battlefield who'd been writing about Ho Chi Minh. We were able also to deliver another set of notes from soldiers in the battlefield um, to the museum for the uh, poet uh, Win Du, where they've been talking about his famous tale and writing about the inspiration it gave them. But most importantly, in that visit, during the field trip, we were able to establish working meetings at all levels, uh, particularly with meetings with provincial leaders and provincial uh, command and search teams in Guangxi, uh, Dongnai, uh, Tian Hui, and that enabled us to establish another set of official uh, communications for researching and sharing information that could get more directly to groups looking uh, for possible burial sites and remains on the ground. And then as my colleague from USAID said, then the very important work takes place of how do you identify them, how do you classify them to get to the families. We heard of one elderly woman who only had one tooth left in her mouth and refused to have it taken out because she said, I'd need this for future DNA uh, representation. So what we're presently in the process of doing is trying to construct a state-of-the-art archive dedicated around this work that will serve as a central hub for research and study on the war and its impact on those involved. Uh, we're digitalizing collections of source documents and we'll make those accessible to project stakeholders, uh, Vietnam War scholars, and general public, the general public. And last but not least, one of the things we hope to be able to do moving forward uh, is to be able to provide uh, challenges for our colleagues from Vietnam on how to process a lot of these materials. So they're in collections like CDEC, how to verify them so that we can actually expand the pace and scope at which we're uh, conducting this work because obviously time is of the essence and we want to be able to speed up that work of identification and location. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. It's um, incredibly important and increasingly urgent work. Um, let me start, we have a few minutes left with a follow-up question for, for you, Tony. I think at least on the surface, this, this new, these new programs to help Vietnam identify missing remains are a bit of an analog to the, what's happened in the opposite direction, Vietnamese assistance to the United States to find remains. You know, what ways are these similar or different? What lessons can be learned from the U.S. remains recovery mission? And, and, and are there blockages that, that just need to get out of the way to be as successful as possible here? Well, first thing, of course, that that process hasn't stopped. And many of the people that we've been interacting with, particularly when you get to the local level, are military figures who've been involved in that program and project of helping to locate American missing in action. So I think that gives a very important experience. And what helps us is they're actually themselves quite skilled at helping identify how 
valuable that information may or may not be, and they can help with the verification process. You know, part of this problem is, and you know, we know that you know, there was a burial site next to a tree at this point, this point. You go there, it's a shopping mall. You know, and so a lot of that local knowledge becomes uh, really crucial. So my personal view is that this work dovetails very together, very well together. But I want to stress again, the vital part, next component is what USAID is doing with the identification. And it needs a different process. And so a set of the bones that were collected were taken to The Hague, which has one of the main places for identifying uh, war dead that we're able to develop technologies which will help with this process of identification in Vietnam. And that is a technique that the Vietnamese did not have with locating American missing in action. So I think they're complementary. I think they build on one another, and they hopefully they'll compound the impact that we'll have with this work. Great, and I'll, I'll just say, uh, you know, one of the objectives for this symposium and why it's second annual and why we found it useful last year was that there's so much work happening in different aspects of reconciliation, war legacy work, and, and certainly there are lessons to be learned uh, about people working in various parts and, of course, also connecting it to the strategic relationship between the United States and Vietnam, United States and Laos, United States and Cambodia. Um, on that, Emory, let me ask you a, a version of the question that Lise Grande asked earlier. Um, you know, what lessons should two other countries uh, take from this pretty remarkable journey that the United States and Vietnam have been on that I think we could say has been largely a success? Um, and what, what are the, to you, you've lived this uh, in Hanoi, you know, what were the ingredients of success? I think, um, again, I think Mira said, you know, patience is one. I think persistence is another. Um, and I do think that, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be times when it's going to be hard to come together, but I think continuing and having the, the idea that you're achieving something together um, is going to push you forward. Um, and so that persistence builds that trust. And that's what you have to have is really the trust between the two to, to come and and make it this far in what we've done with Vietnam. It is quite amazing. And I would say that another portion of what our reconciliation work has been doing is looking at how do we tell the story of where we've come from. Um, two enemies that have come together to clean up the remediation, the dioxin that ha was left behind. Um, it's pretty extraordinary. And so another part that we've been working with the government of Vietnam is on strategic communications and telling that story and looking at the War Remnants Museum over how, and with USIP's help, is really how do we then um, change that to tell the story of the two enemies coming together to really achieve peace and prosperity for their people. And I think personally another part of it is, you know, answering that question, of, it's been almost 50 years, why do we need to still do this? Because work is because there's a, you know, incredible humanitarian needs to it, but Absolutely. it's also important f for our countries. Let me ask the final question uh, uh, back to Mr. Chantalat. Um, I mean, it's, it, we, we should acknowledge that U.S.-Lao relations have not come the same distance as U.S.-Vietnam relations, though in a lot of ways U.S.-Lao relations are warm. You know, so, and, and I think it really is notable how our friends from Vietnam um, I think not so subtly anymore, say that uh, the United States and Laos, United States and Co Cambodia should take some lessons 
from the, this U.S.-Vietnam journey to forge a closer relationship. Um, how can this be? War legacy cooperations be a greater vehicle for U.S.-Lao uh, cooperation and dialogue? Where can we go from here uh, together as two countries? Yes, <clears throat> thank you very much, Myron. Um, this is a really good question. I believe that uh, uh, our bilateral cooperation on exoquilence is really uh, a tie up effective and good cooperation. Why? Because um, to, to promote cooperation and build peace, we need um, safety nets for, 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 for the Lao people uh, who are living in the contaminated areas. They deserve to, to have the feeling of safetyness to live. They, they deserve to have the normal uh, livelihood. And with the U.S. assistance in this area, uh, the Lao government can, can develop the country. And uh, the huge uh, area of land can be cultivated. If we don't remove UXO, we will continue to face the, the current impacts of UXO. And our children, our students, our farmers, and the people living in the remote area will still face these imminent impacts. So we uh, are very um, um, grateful that the U.S. continue and commit to help uh, Lao government to, to, to remove the UXO. And uh, we believe that this kind of cooperation will be continuous and promoted even further. Great, thank you. And certainly, uh a safe and secure and prosperous Lao PDR is in the U.S. interest in addition to the humanitarian side. So I think it's, it's essential on, on many fronts. We're out of time uh, for this session. I'll remind those who are watching online that we have two other sessions coming up tomorrow, at least tomorrow here in, in the United States. At 8.30 a.m., Senator Jeff Merkley from Oregon will be speaking. He's really taken a leadership role in the Senate on war legacy issues, so we're thrilled to have him. Um, and at 3.45 in the afternoon, we'll have a, another all-star panel with uh, U.S. Ambassador Mark Knapper um, and, and several other distinguished guests. So, but before we, we close today, thank you, please join me in thanking uh, the panelists here up on stage. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.